listening to the Poster Boy Podcast. Our mission is to help young entrepreneurs in small town America start, grow, and manage 21st century businesses. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, this is Chad. Hey, and this is Drew. Today, we're going to talk about another quote. Okay, so it's a quote by Nelson Mandela. It always seems impossible until it's done. Let's start off with a story from you. Tell me something impossible that you, <laughs> that either maybe something impossible that you've overcame or something that you weren't able to overcome. Because I actually, just for, for clarity's sake, actually looked up the definition of impossible and it says okay. unable to occur, which seems logical. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I kind of live in this world of nothing is impossible. Um, at least you tried it once. Yeah. yeah. Once you get on basic physics, I, I don't think anything's impossible. But maybe, maybe yeah. in your business, maybe tell me something that you overcame that was seemingly impossible. Okay. So the first thing that comes to mind is moving our graphic design office from Chicago to the Dominican Republic. This for me just impossible is probably not even the right word as to how far fetched it was when Peter first mentioned that we should consider it. And at first I said, man, I I don't know. There's so much, so much communication that happens. Okay. Between a designer and a, and a location. And so then we had to figure out how can we minimize the communication, right? So what can we do to basically standardize it? So language barrier is not an issue. So the first thing that we did was Peter had been working on a project with a, I'm not even sure what it was actually, but he had a guy that he was working with from Puerto Rico and they had used a web developer that just so happened to be from the Dominican Republic. And he happened to be a designer. So Peter gave me his information or he got it from this guy and they sent it over to me. So I sent the guy a message on WhatsApp and I introduced myself and I told him, who I had met and that they thought we might be able to work together. And so, you know, for me also, I like to move quick. I think it's, I I think moving quick is inspirational, actually. Getting things done quickly is somewhat inspiring to other people. And so first conversation this guy and I had, I told him that we were interested in doing our design in a, you know, outsourcing it and working with them. And we had a budget in mind that we were interested in, in trying to make happen. But before I did that, I did some research on the the economics of their area and things like that. So I kind of had an idea as to what we were looking at. So then the guy was super interested and he asked me what the next step was. And I said, the next step is to send me your passports photos and I'm going to book airfare for tomorrow. And literally, it's the first time I ever talked to this guy. The very next morning, he was on an airplane from the Dominican Republic heading to Chicago. He didn't speak a lick of English. Wow. Uh, it just so happened, though, he did he did speak Spanish. And so um, one of the girls who still works with us today and a huge part of our success is Erica. And so she is our our translator. Now, look, I can speak Spanish, but not not this type of Spanish. We're talking about really in-depth bilingual, being able to discuss computer issues and, you know, Photoshop and other other programs. There's a lot that went to it. So anyhow, they fly in and we meet them and he 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 and his wife. Uh, both came. So we take the day, we show them our office, we sit them down and we go through the process of how we make a poster. 
we test them to see how much they actually know and come to find out they don't know as much as we had anticipated. So we, Erica spent two full days training them. And then what we did was we made videos on everything so we could send them back. And we took the time to get to know them. We went out to dinner, hung out for a few days. They were here for three days. And so literally when they went back, they first step number one was to find an office. So they found us an office and sent over three or four different things. I asked them which one they thought was best. They told me why, whatever. So we leased our first office in a different country. It was the first time that it ever happened. And if I'm not mistaken, this has been a while, but I want to say it was like $250 a month. So it was a little more expensive in the Dominican Republic than I anticipated. But so, okay, so we leased this office, then we had to buy tables and chairs. And those things were actually like same prices as they are in America. It was really weird. But so we, we furnished the office, we get internet in there and they start hiring. So they had, they had known quite a few people that had helped them with web development over the years that were designers. So we brought the, these people on and I think initially we brought on 10. And so they went through our training program that we had built with Erica while they were there. We just basically recorded everything and they went through the, the steps and then Erica worked with them one-on-one and we did tests to see how fast they were. And then eventually the guy, his name was Ashbel. He ended up taking over all of all of the training part of it, and he did everything on his own. And so in the beginning, we utilized our designers in the United States, which, by the way, just as a side note for that, they were very aware and very supportive of this. Most of them were going off to college, and we just decided instead of hiring another round of, of students here because of some of the issues we had had with you know Netflix and some of the things that are discussed in the book. But anyhow. Um, they were all supportive and helped these guys learn as well. And so we, we did like a mixture where we did half in the Dominican Republic of our design and then the other half here in the United States. And then slowly as the summer uh, came about, we transitioned away from the States altogether and moved it all to the Dominican Republic. And we built a really great operation there. And it, it took us a little bit to get it right. And we had some language barriers to overcome, but yeah, looking back, man, another major hurdle that yeah. we overcame. <clears throat> well, that let me ask a you, lot. you know, to zero in on this idea of something seeming impossible, and and hopefully this makes sense. Is it when you looked at going international, you know, expanding your team? Was it was it that it seemed impossible because you didn't know how to do it, or because you didn't think it would work? Definitely both. First of all not knowing if if it will work. When you first start out, I would say that the majority of entrepreneurs, when they start out, they think that they're the only one that can do anything. Okay. They think they're the best at everything and that no one will do it the way they will. And I'm not one that to disagree with that, but I, my counter argument is that you need to build better systems that don't allow for quality slip-ups. If you look at McDonald's, that's, that's how they built it. Okay. It, It doesn't matter the person. It just needs a person, right? And so for us, this was a a great moment for us to grow as people because when we, okay, just to give you, to go all the way back to how this worked before, we were using a chat program. It was uh, Atlassian's hip, hip chat. It was very similar to AOL. And we were using that to communicate back and forth with our locations and our designers. And so what I had to do was make a decision to move away from that type of chat program because it became very much of a texting string where there was a lot of communication going on. And then we had to create identifiers for the posters. So let's say, for example, something simple. This would, this would be a, a sample. 
right? If if the bottom text on the poster is T1, instead of saying like, hey, Chad, I need you to, to change this to this. Well, what they would say is T1 equals yeah. this, right? You basically create a legend. And because here's here's some of the stuff that would happen. Like, so, let's say someone's last name was Green. Mm-hmm. Okay, like the, you know, the Danny Green NBA player. So we make a poster for a kid named Danny Green and they misspell the last name. Okay, and then I say, hey, I need you to make the kid's <laughs> oh, no. last name green. <laughs> oh, no. So they changed yeah. the color, right? They changed the color. So we had things that we never saw coming that were translation issues that were that that Google yeah. Translate and things like that just didn't solve. So then we had to create different ways of doing it, right? So the way that we approach our design today, if we were doing it in the United States, it would be much different than it is today. It's in Mexico. Um, so this is some of the stuff that we faced, okay? When, when we set up the office in the Dominican Republic, originally we started out with 10 designers and we had given them a budget and this guy was very adamant that it would be his company. Okay, it was his business because he there's a there's a big pride factor in that, which is fine, whatever. So we were like, okay, I mean, whatever, we're your only client. Okay. You're not and you're not offering our products to anyone else. We're not giving out how we do stuff to anyone, right? So summer rolled around, and when summer summer came, we had to expand our design team, probably to close to, I don't know, 30 designers, maybe 25, 30 designers at the time. And one of the things that happened was as summer ended, we we said, look, we need to go back to the 10, right? We're slower after the summer. It's just, we don't want to carry this burden of design payroll and all this other stuff. And he was like, no, and, you know, <laughs> first of all, I'm like, wait, what? Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure how that works, but okay. We're the, we're, we're the ones paying everyone. Right. So, and, and again, this goes to moving fast. So here's what happened next. He, he said that, he didn't want to lay his people off. They were good people. It takes too much time to get them trained, all these other things. I'm like, that's fine, but we don't need them. Like, we don't need them right now. In the winter, we don't work as much, and we just don't. And so it became a huge fight. And what I think happened was, and, and by the way, this is complete speculation, but this is my feeling I got. The guy that he and I had a mutual contact between, Peter's friend and uh that's how I how I was introduced. I feel like he talked to someone who tried to give them tactics for negotiating with Americans because he felt that we could pay them more and we should pay them more. And um, it was really tough for me because the first time I'd ever been put in a situation where we had no control because we had already completely dissolved our design office here in the United States. So now they knew something, and that was that we needed them. And so then it was the first time I'd ever been negotiated with like that in a, in a position where I could not, like, I, I didn't have any control over the outcome. Let me tell you, that for me was very difficult to swallow. So first thing I did was get really pissed off. That was like number one. I, was, I, I couldn't believe it was happening. Like, we had come this far built this great office, saved, you know, a decent amount of money. Actually, we didn't save as much as you'd think in the Dominican Republic. Um, but we had saved a decent amount of money. And I thought we had built a smooth operation. And then all of a sudden, it's like, bam, we're, we're keeping everyone and we need you to increase our pay. It was like, what? We might as well do it here. And that's what I told them. We're better off doing it in the United States at, that, at the rates they were looking for. 
And so because, you know, then we don't have language barriers. We don't have development costs for solving these hard language issues. Right. So I call Erica. I tell her what's going on. And I said, look, um, do you have anyone in Me- by the way, Erica's originally from Mexico in a in a small town in central Mexico. And so I said, do you have anyone there that would be interested in learning graphic design? Because and I told her the situation what was going on with Ashbel. And she's like, you know, I have a cousin who's uh, like he was like 23 or 22 at the time or something. And she's like, you know, he might be interested, but he has a pretty good job right now for for that area. So I said, OK, well, can you call him and ask him? And she said, well, she calls him. She calls me back. She goes, he's you know, he's got a good job. He's not really sure. And I said, what does he make? And so she told me what he made. And I said, you tell him that now I will double his pay and I will send his first paycheck wow. via PayPal right now. And she's like, you're kidding. I was like, dude, I, I but he needs to quit his job tonight. And she's like, tonight? I was like, yeah. So she, I said, call me back as soon as he has an answer. She, she calls me back and she goes, he said, if you'll <laughs> send it right now, he'll quit his job. Yeah. I was like, done. Give me his PayPal address. So I send his paycheck, right? So now the next thing I do is I, so I ask Eric, well, I, first of all, I inform Erica politely <laughs> that, okay, we need you to go to Mexico tomorrow. And um, so her and Julie both, uh, I reached out, obviously talked to both of them. I mean, they, they knew what was going on. And so we booked airfare to Mexico the next morning and they were on a plane headed to Mexico to build it the same type of office that we did in the Dominican Republic. So now I messaged Ashville back and I said, okay, we're done. And he's like, wait, what? And I said, yeah, you know, we're, we're no longer going to use you. And he, and then, so he's like, how are you going to get your design done? And I said, well, that's my problem, not your problem. Okay. And I said, but we, we are finished. And he's like, wait, 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 we, we must negotiate. And at that moment, I realized that that's, that is, I was right. I think I was right on he had been given um he had been given advice on how to negotiate with an american especially in one that was in in need of his service and so he thought we had no other options and so we walked away and you know every now and then to this day he still will send me a message and you know see how we're doing and you know i wish we could work together and you know but this is no i have no interest in that because when you do that to me so then he you know, it, it was really hard for him. It was hard for me because I had never been put in that position before, but it also taught me a big lesson, right? And so this time when we went to to set our office up in Mexico, it was very clear who was whose office that was and it was ours, okay? And we made this very clear from the very, from the very beginning. And we also had learned from doing it in the Dominican Republic for six months or so what we needed to solve, what we needed to do better, how we could, how we could fix things. And not to mention... It, more much more cost effective for us yeah well in mexico okay i I was i'm sorry i was gonna say uh, i'm sure the 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 core lesson you learned from this was is you know how long did it take you to get into you got into mexico in a single day right like and then now when you look at expanding globally you've got the experience you know it's not impossible it's inevitable like what 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 is the takeaway from that? Because you went from one one country to another country overnight, effectively. Well, the only reason that that became possible was because at first it was impossible, and then we did it. And once we did it, it was no longer impossible. 
And then today, you know, you know, this, we have an office in Indonesia as well. And we do a lot of our, a lot of design out of there, not necessarily poster design, but other stuff that we work on. Um, But so we carry one there and it's just so much easier, you know, in Indonesia, it's a little bit trickier because we, we don't have anyone that speaks the language. And so I have to hire a translator every week and we do a call with our office manager out there every single week for an hour on Wednesday nights because they're 12 hours ahead. And we strategically chose Indonesia because of uh, a, it's very similar to central Mexico and the rates are very similar, but in addition, it's, um, it is something that for us is allows us to operate 24 hours a day because they're exactly 12 hours ahead of us central time in Jakarta. And so that, that for us means that we could just have two offices around the country and service 24 hours of design time. So therefore, our global expansion for our footprint of people that are selling posters can be in any, any country in the world right now because we've achieved that, right? But so going back to, you know, if you're tying it back into the quote, it was so impossible at first. It, it really was. And I'm not going to say that it wasn't really, it wasn't hard or that it was hard because it was really hard. But we weren't scared when we did it in Mexico because the worst had already happened. Our design office that we had built and gotten rid of everyone in yeah. the United States just held us hostage, <laughs> right? So uh, what else could happen? I mean, at that point, it was, we don't have a choice, okay? We, we have to solve this now, or we have to go back to doing it in the States. And look, that was probably something that I originally thought, but at the same time, it just made too, it made too much of, of a difference. We, the entry-level job that we could provide for graphic design doesn't have the same impact for a person's outcome as the same job that we could provide in Mexico, okay? In Mexico, we are able to pay much better wages than the average person makes. And they get to work inside in a controlled climate. It's year round. It's consistent. Right. And, and we, we, today we have two offices there in different towns, but we have such, such great economic impact on two different little communities that Makes you feel good. And, you know, it's funny because so many people that listen to it are like, oh, we want to keep everything in America. And I agree with that. But the move to Mexico that was so impossible made it possible for our customers to get better prices on posters, to get faster turnaround on posters, because for the same amount of designers that we could have in the United States, we could double that in Mexico and still save money. So we were able to keep lower costs, provide a, a faster product and do all of those things. You know, taking it back to the quote, lots of things seem impossible at first and it's a lack of experience. And I think whenever, whenever someone looks at things that have been done before, you know, like um, what started first, uh, MySpace, right? And then Facebook comes along because they know there's a market for it, right? And then now Twitter comes along. And then Instagram comes along, yeah. but Facebook buys Instagram. <laughs> yep. These people, if yep. you if you it's see that other people yeah. can do it, and I think through Chad's story, if if you're at this the phase in your business where you need to scale production resources or what whatever the situation may be, where going international is something that you thought was impossible, I I think Chad's example of going to Mexico in a day probably tells you that you have very little excuse at this point. Right. Like, um, yeah, go ahead. 
<laughs> well, and, and you know, Drew, I want to say something. I think it's really important for anyone listening, okay, for anyone listening that is is unsure about whether or not something like that is possible, right? If you have a product that's being manufactured, you're buying it here in the United States, you would be surprised at how fast, okay, so let's let's just say hypothetically, you we'll use our frames, for example. Now, I will say that our frames, they do not make economic sense to get them uh, made in a different country because of the freight cost for us. But I will say, let's just use frames as an example. So if if we were concerned and we thought we could dramatically lower our frame cost if we bought them overseas, then what we would do is in, we, we could easily set up our own operation, okay? Because we have the one-time initial investment. But if we do it on our own and we hire our own, our own labor and we have one manager that we deal with, then we can lower our frame cost. If we, you think about it, if you were to lower your frame cost by whatever, a dollar a frame, but the operation costs you $50,000 to set up, that's fine because after 50,000 frames, now you're saving a dollar on every frame moving forward. Now look, a dollar is not enough money to move an operation to a different place, okay? It has to be, it has to make a lot of sense because things can change and you, know, you have to be able to make your money back much faster in a different country, because there's a lot of things that are unstable in different countries. Things that I learned, uh, Drew, that would have never dreamed of was we are like energy. The, the grid is not the same as it is in the United States. So we have electrical issues there. Right. And so we had to have two separate offices in, that are miles, uh, 50 or 75 miles apart because we needed different energy providers and we needed different uh, Internet providers because the Internet's not as stable as it is here in the States. And so we built two offices there to help secure ourselves and prevent a, a catastrophe of, right. you know, when the power goes down, now all of a sudden no one can get posters made and then all is a domino effect, obviously. But so, yes, again, once you do something, the hardest part is starting because once you get started, you'll learn all the problems really fast and then you just go to work. You, you solve your challenges and you overcome them. And then as yeah. you overcome <clears> so one, a new one will a, arise and a, you overcome a, it. And then they, it's just, it's just a from a business perspective. Let's think back to a couple of podcasts uh, ago where we, we discussed the concept of, you know, risking the usual to live an extraordinary life. I'm sure as you look at, or as someone maybe listening right now is thinking about doing something that seems impossible Tell me, how did you weigh the risk or what was the risk consideration diving into something that you, you would just have to assume, okay, perhaps someone else has done it. I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to do this. We know that they come out on, on the other side, either learning a lesson or actually completing the thing they thought they were going to complete. But tell me, tell me, where does risk play into this? <laughs> it's funny <laughs> when you ask that question, I, it, how to answer that question is a really good <laughs> that, that alone is a question for myself. How do I answer this the best way? I, well, as far as risk goes, I love it. I think the greatest risk we could have taken was not trying. Okay. And today, our graphic, I mean, we send yeah. well over six figures, we send six figures to Mexico every, every year. Okay. So you have to think about the amount of economic impact you have. And a place like that, right? But the risk involved in the beginning was what we were doing, we were having problems with, okay? And we, we had never thought of that as a solution until Peter said something about it. And then when he said something, 
it, he's right. It is possible. I just didn't know how it was possible. And the only thing I could think was to f- have a person there. Right. And so if you find that one person and it's you know, people are like, well, how do you find that person? Right. And that's always the question. I think the most important thing to remember is that everything can be learned. OK, you go back to the 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 stigma of degrees. At the end of the day, when you start a job, you start it having to learn everything that you need to know for that job. OK. And so if that's the case, like for us, when we the way we found our designer in Indonesia was we hosted an online contest for a logo okay that we were we were needing and then we we found different designers that we liked that worked in, in all from different countries all over the world and we knew specifically kind of the area that we were looking for and when we found a couple that did some really good jobs we reached out and you know we we had issues at first because we were using translation tools and then hired a translator and really was was able to make it work but today the risk i think is the biggest risk at the end of the day is not trying because what's the worst that happens? You know, in life, you have to realize I have a lot of friends that are older and I think it's just because they're so wise and I just seek their knowledge. It's just constantly ask them questions. But when you, when you talk to people that are on the way out or at the last phase of their life and you ask them what's important, very, very few of them will say money. Okay. But they will, they are quick to remember the things that they wish they had done. They're quick to remember those things. Like that's a life that I feel I wasn't, that me personally, I'm not, I don't want to risk that. I don't want to risk being at the end and being like, you know, man, I had an easy life, but easy isn't what brings purpose, right? Easy easy, impossible. Those are the things when you solve those things, those are the things that that are fun and exciting and they make life worth living. And look, the problems suck. Okay. Like when your problems get bigger, the, trust me, like I am, I am not immune to awful problems. It's just today, the problems are so much bigger and so different. They provide a different level of stress, but it's okay because it's just, part of the territory. The good news with all those problems, by the way, is that it doesn't happen overnight. Okay. It's just like losing 50 pounds at the gym. This is a process. Okay. When you start out and you, we did our first one, we had a person and his wife, right? We had Ashbel and we had his wife. And then, then we had 10 people. Okay. And that, that, that's tolerable. And then we were using our office in the States and we were using our office there because we were trying to figure out, can it, can it work? We can, we can think back to some of the themes or the, the tone that we've had over the last couple of months. Um, I'm inspired by this idea that someone who has something in front of them that seems impossible, maybe that's the differentiation between them and their competition. Because you look at, you know, I think we even, we mentioned Facebook uh, a little bit ago, right? And them, them going into the cryptocurrency market. And now with it going mainstream with Facebook, how many other innovators can come out there and say, we've got a better algorithm or we have a better process? But that, at this moment, is their differentiation. I don't know of any other social networks developing cryptocurrencies right now. If you are, if you are a, a, a 17-year-old and you're going to do a lemonade stand, what's, a, what's something that seems impossible that likely everyone else trying to make a lemonade stand on your street also sees as impossible, but you're the one that actually tries, takes the risk to overcome that something that just seems impossible. Like to me, that seems like 
something that that can develop into a differentiation and separate your business from other businesses. Well, okay. So something you you said uh first of all when you talk about Beautiful, the lemonade stand right? the first thing i thought of yeah. was most lemonade stands don't accept credit cards or apple pay and i right that was like the first thing i thought of right yeah but at the same time it's it's, it's as easy as downloading square yeah. creating an account and having your parents <laughs> no, let you use their, yeah. their little, i love your their iphone while they're sitting there you know it, i don't know that was sorry that was the first problem that um but i i do want to i i want to to address something else that happens when you take on a problem like we did with, with going to a different country. So, and it's funny you brought up the cryptocurrency, okay? Because here in the United States, people almost see cryptocurrency as a scam. And that's because we have stable currency. And we've never been in a place where today our dollar is worth a dollar and tomorrow that same dollar can only buy you 20 cents worth of stuff. And tomorrow it can buy you $3 worth of stuff, right? We've never experienced that, especially people that are living at this time. We've really never had that. But in other places, and I'm sure, I don't know how much history people you know, will know going into this, but there was yeah. a time in Germany where there, it was like a joke that you needed to take a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread because it was worthless. Basically, no one wanted their currency, so it was worthless. And so the cryptocurrency stuff that's happening there, it's just, this is just an example of when you get into other countries like when we got into mexico you start seeing problems that we are almost immune to or we we don't pay attention to because we never deal with it right for us in all reality the only thing we know about a different country is what we see on the news we don't know anything else okay we know that there's turmoil they're fighting there's drugs there's this it's dangerous it's that it's it's whatever but you know people write news on things that people want to read about they don't write news necessarily on you know, the like when let me give you a great example, Drew, of, of, of this particular scenario. So my wife and I and our kids, we spent um, a month, like five weeks in this past year in Cancun. And remember, we're in Mexico. And before we left, all of our, you know, Mary's parents and, and mine are like, oh, are you, are you not worried about being safe? And I'm like, no, not really. Whatever. Right. So we get there and we're in Mexico <laughs> and we're at dinner one night. And we tell our server that we're from Chicago and they're like. Oh my God, is it safe? Do you, is it safe there? And I'm like, what do you mean? Is this, you live in Mexico, dude. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And it was funny because he, he had the same theory that I had because on the news, the only thing they ever published about Chicago are that there's uh, more murders here than anywhere. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> if we watch amazing. the news on Mexico, it's like, well, the cartel is, is killing everyone and it's all drugs. And it's like, he was concerned about if I was safe. Right. And it was just such an eye opening thing for me. But again, had I have not taken the chance years ago and done and ventured out into a different country, then these things wouldn't have been possible. And these conversations would have never happened. And then all of a sudden you start seeing that you can make a much, much bigger impact in someone's life in a different <clears throat> country than you can here with the same amount of economic resources. Want to share that I recently (laughs) finished a book uh, about Lockheed Martin and their Skunk Works project. And for those unfamiliar with it, first off, it is a fantastic book by Ben Rich, and he describes the the history and the secret projects of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works coming out of World War II and going into the 
going into the 80s and 90s. And during this, this 40, 50 year time span, the things that they invented because they wanted to keep the country safe or because they wanted to travel you know, higher, faster, further than anyone had ever done before, whenever, whenever the government would approach them and say, you know, we would like to spec out the possibility of building a, a new spacecraft mm-hmm. or a new, a new uh, fighter, uh, fighter jet. They didn't say, no, it's not impossible. They would spend countless hours and hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars inventing solutions to problems that we didn't even know existed, right? Like, how do you deflect radar bounces? Basically, they, they and this is an amazing part of the book, they took a, a you know, just imagine like an F-16 or F-18. They took a, a aircraft and they made it to the size of a marble on a radar screen. Yeah, like that was their that was their innovation. That was their innovation. That was their difference. That was something that every other manufacturer at the time said was impossible. <laughs> like, the, like they were trying to completely shift. They were saying, "Well, we're going to do UAVs back in the sixties wow. and seventies. and then you know the Lockheed team said, "Well, we can still build space uh, uh, airships, right?" And they did, and they did it successfully, and it's definitely contributed. Um, to advances, right? Like just look at, look at patents. If you were to go to the patent office right now, there seem, I'm, I'm sure there is a hundred million things that were impossible for before they were invented or, or patented. But, uh, you know, Ben Rich said a quote that I, I think is a f- fascinating to marry to what we're talking about today, which is anything you can imagine, we already know how to do. And if you just think about that, I mean, to your point, Chad, uh, someone already invented Stripe um, someone already invented Square. Go get your mom's phone, add the little white connector to it, and then start making money selling lemonade at a dollar twenty-five plus transaction fees. <laughs> you know, today because it's not impossible. Anything yeah. you can imagine, we already know how to do. I, I, I thought it was, <laughs> you know, given some of the things we've talked about today, and people thinking that, you know, if it's if it's impossible because they don't know if it's if it's ever been done before, you know, and I, I would say also if there are things that have never been done before and that seems impossible, then those seem like the even more fantastic things too. if you've got the time, energy and effort to actually apply yourself to. Right. You'd be the trendsetter. But if you want to create the next social network, if you want to be a, a photographer in your town, if you want to be a designer right, and create flyers. The tools are out there. There are people ahead of you that have already done it. You don't have to be original, but you have to find that thing that you think is impossible and overcome it and just do it. Take the risk and do it. Sometimes overcoming impossible yep. is much more of a personal issue than anything because to you, it seems impossible, right? And I think that a lot of people are constantly fighting themselves, and so I think that that takes us, Drew, to the action plan for today and what someone could do. And, you know, we came up with the fact that write down something that you once thought was impossible, that seemed impossible, but you actually achieved it. Whether it be something simple, like riding a bike, a math problem, a video game level, something, right? And then focus on how long you felt it was impossible, but then how, felt, how great it felt to solve it. But then also think back to, if we use riding a bike, it's such an easy example, but for everyone, it was very difficult to start out. But once you started riding a bike and you figured it out, now you can always ride a bike. And that's what's so amazing about stuff like this. And it's what's so great about being human. Once we learn things, 
we get to continuously progress. And uh, me personally, I couldn't be more grateful to be a living in this country and being human because some of the things that we get a chance to see, I feel like we are in like the absolute best moment of being alive that you could ever ask for because the things that were once deemed impossible are becoming realities every single day. And who would have thought, A, you could make a computer, and then B, you could put a computer in your pocket. Okay, like today, that's what we do. And it just, we have, humans are amazing. And it's so cool that we make incremental progress. But that incremental progress with billions of people working on them really adds up to be lots of progress for humanity. And that is what makes being alive today so amazing, so inspirational. And yeah, I I just couldn't be more grateful to be alive today. This has been another episode of the Poster Boy Podcast, brought to you by utproducts.com. Find and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at theposterboybook.com to grab your copy of the book.